It's lights out and away we go. Welcome to the pit straight. I am Jack Swansea, the host of the podcast that you're listening to right now. And joining me is once again, he was gone last week, but now he's back. A man who is for all intents and purposes, nocturnal frontstretch.com IndyCar editor, Alex Gins. Alex, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's good. It's good to be back. You know, you knew you couldn't keep me away forever, even if it is a little bit past my bedtime. I'm a little scared, but <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, And dear listeners, of course, thank you for listening to The Pit Straight. You can follow Alex on Twitter at AlexGintz1. You can follow me at Jack Swansea. And while you're on the Twitter, why not give the official Front Stretch Open Wheel Twitter account a follow at FS Open Wheel for some great Formula One and IndyCar content. We'll always post a link to The Pit Straight. Um, as well as some of the really, really good stuff that our colleagues are writing on the web. So, Alex, Canadian Grand Prix, won by, say it with me, Max Verstappen. Um, but of course, here on the Pit Straight, we don't recap the full Formula One race. If you would like to know what happened, read our colleague Jeffrey Boswell's article on frontstretch.com. Instead... This episode is uh, born out of a conversation that Alex and I had on Slack uh, based on the location for the Canadian Grand Prix, the circuit Gilles Villeneuve, which I always like to remind people is on a man-made island in the middle of the St. Lawrence River, uh, Ile Notre Dame, which uh, was the original name of the track until the legendary Canadian Formula One driver Gilles Villeneuve died in a practice crash ahead of the 1982 Belgian Grand Prix at Circuit Zolder, after which the track was renamed in his honor. And well, that sort of began a conversation that we'd like to continue here in this podcast form, which is, does the inherent danger of single-seater racing add in some way to its mystique? Yeah, and you know that that's a very interesting topic because we all we all follow along with this sport, understanding that um, this is a sport where people get hurt, um, you know, families get devastated, lives get changed forever. Sometimes they sometimes lives are lost, and it's you know your use of the word mystique is very interesting because it doesn't imply the excitement that, you know, no, no normal person feels about watching someone um, have their life taken from them in the course of a sporting event. But at the same time, nobody can deny that things like this keep our attention. So, um, you know, Jack, I, I'm really interested to hear what, what you would have to say about the relationship between um, single-seater motorsport and the concept of serious injury or death. You know, in, in recent years, we've seen the Halo introduced into Formula One and the Aero screen introduced into IndyCar, both of them introduced almost entirely in direct response to two head injuries that led to fatalities in Jules Bianchi and F1 and Justin Wilson and IndyCar. Um, whereas back in the 1970s i believe the statistical average for formula 1 was like 2.3 driver deaths per season so we're we're living in a very different world and it's not exactly clear how much we are made to confront the idea of death and serious injury in motorsport as it's no longer um 
it's no longer staring down or staring at us. We're no longer looking down the barrel of its gun twice a year. Yeah, and I, I this is why I really did want to have this episode now um, when there sort of isn't anything to prompt it uh, because it when Formula One does sort of get a bit boring as it did on Sunday. Um, it that's kind of the time when we at least ought to remind ourselves that these athletes are putting themselves at serious risk. I mean, thinking last year about Zhou Guanyu's wreck at Silverstone when the roll hoop failed on that car, I think we all held our breath. And frankly, I don't know how how he was able to I, I mean we we talk about the halo saving a lot of lives and the the that roll hoop failure thankfully joe was was not seriously injured but there have been changes to the safety regulations i mean it's it is certainly true that safety regulations in motorsport have been written in blood um and you think about the hans device um the even just the standards for grade one circuits uh the, the the track changes that had to be made in the in the aftermath of senna's death it's it's a specter that really haunts particularly single-seater racing um i think indycar is still very much feeling the loss of dan weldon i think that's in in the history of american open racing that is a just massive moment um and then, and then Justin Wilson, just a few years later, sort of losing his life before we were even sort of over, before we'd even sort of moved past the loss of the loss of Dan. And it it rears its ugly head, I think. And then, and then if you just look at NASCAR, the the sort of safety concerns with the new next gen car and the the driver concussions that we saw last year it is there and i think for a few years the sort of between 1994 and 2014 in f1 uh between 2001 and now for nascar and then we really I haven't mean, had a break from it in indycar <laughs> yeah and then indycar indycar i think during that era it became indycar is the sort of dangerous one yes. um this is something that you know Max Verstappen and Daniel Ricciardo have spoken that they're kind of they don't want to do ovals because they see it because it's more dangerous. But I mean, this is a this is a dangerous sport, and it it is all sort of balanced on a knife edge when you're talking about these speeds and this amount of force and this you know even quantity of fuel. But I, I want to get back to this idea of mystique, because I think that when the Halo came out, there was this, I, I mean, when the Halo was unveiled in 2018, there was this conversation about like, well, does danger add to the appeal? And frankly, I think that's a kind of fundamentally insensitive thing to say. Um, because, you know, as fans, we're not the ones really putting our lives at risk. Um, although of course, sometimes that, that does happen. Sometimes fans lives are 
in danger as a result of being at the racetrack. And, and frankly, that's even worse, but I think like the, the sort of the mystique, the, the stakes, the not drama, but there is, you, you said it before we began recording this sort of metaphysical element to racing, but I think single seater racing in particular, where the, the threat of serious injury or death is always hanging over. And I think, I mean, I don't know, would you agree that even in a boring race, a quote unquote boring race, like the Canadian Grand Prix, there is still that sort of lurking in the background or, or in your experience, does it sort of recede away given the amount of effort that has gone into making the cars and tracks as safe as possible? So um, I'm glad that we're having this conversation after the Canadian Grand Prix in particular, because it's a, it's a very good point that, um, you know, especially with Formula One and especially with open wheel racing as a whole, I suppose, where, you know, this isn't Talladega or Daytona, um, you know, they're, they're not running inches apart the whole race. It can look very professional. And when cars aren't running side by side, it, it, it can almost look easy. Um, you don't need an extremely competitive race to have Robert Kubica 2007 again. And, you know, the, unfortunately, I think, unfortunately, so the, the true spectacle of this sport doesn't always come into view until something bad happens. Um, there was a, I think it was a National Geographic documentary about Ayrton Senna back in the mid-2000s, I believe where one person said that uh, motorsport is, aside from war, the most extreme form of human endeavor. Um, you don't realize the velocities and the speeds and the force with which these people are moving inside these machines until something makes them stop or change direction. And my, my point in saying all this is that it adds to the mystique in the sense that if you've been watching the sport long enough, you become aware of how hard it's going to hit you when it goes wrong. I was talking to a coworker the other day who was asking me the, the, the horrible age old question of what's the difference between F1 and IndyCar? Oh, how much time do you have, buddy? <laughs> but um, uh, somehow that led the conversation down the path of the danger. And I said, you know, the day after a race car driver dies is one of the mo one of the quietest days of the year inside their own head for a racing fan. It's I don't know if I can call it mystique. I don't have the better word. But at the risk of chasing my own philosophical tail around. I, I will say that um, watching cars drive around the Suzuka circuit entirely under control at 70 miles an hour wouldn't be entertaining for anybody. I think on a similar note, I'm going to you know cast your, your mind back to, I think it was like April of 2020, when there was no racing and all of the greatest race car drivers in the world hopped onto sim racing to sort of, you know, just do something for the fans and keep the sport alive during the the several months that it 
that it couldn't be held in person. And I remember watching the first race, the first, it was a, the first one I watched was the NASCAR one, but I also watched IndyCar at uh, virtual Watkins Glen and thinking, you know, this is, this is good. This is what I wanted. I, you know, enjoying to see these drivers compete. And then I watched the second one and I didn't watch the third one because I mean, and I, and I mean, no disrespect at all to the, the people who put in a lot of time and effort to be very, very good at sim racing. But ultimately, I don't watch sim racing and I watch Formula One. As much as I don't want to admit that, like as much as I don't want to admit to myself that the the risk and the the danger is a part of the appeal, because again, I really think that appeal is the wrong word. Mm-hmm. I, but I almost, I almost want to use the word awe, because I mean, I, I and casually, I would say going to to a race and watching race cars is awesome. I mean, someone asked me, you know, what was it like to watch the cars going up turn. Uh, turn one and two at Sonoma last week. That was awesome. But really, it is, I mean, and it's, it is almost a cliche, like full on last great American hero stuff. But the, the, this sort of sense of like an overwhelming speed and power on the scale that race cars are able to achieve is it is a sense of awe and i think if it's not you know in the real world and sort of you know more power than a human being can really comprehend it it loses some of its meaning and and i don't even i don't think that you know risk of death is inherent to this i think that risk of death is almost a like a a byproduct of this like speed and noise and everything. It, it, so, you know, even in a series, like, even like during the car of tomorrow era NASCAR, which is maybe the safest race car ever. Um, there it's still this sort of visceral awe. And, and it, so it's not impossible to, to have this core mystique and awe of racing with a severely reduced risk of, of injury or death. And I think obviously that's what we want uh series to continue to work towards. But I think that there is, there is a sort of realness that, mm-hmm. that is at this core of, of the appeal of the spectacle of racing. You know, when I was, uh, geez, probably 14, you know, already at 14, already a motorsport fan for 12 years, but, um, you know, starting to seriously take it as a sport versus a spectacle and paying attention to the racecraft and the car control versus just the, the, the heart stopping moments. I stumbled upon, if I can make a quick tangent here, the Isle of Man TT. And for the for people who are not familiar, the Isle of Man TT is a is a two week long motorcycle racing event where they close off forty miles of public road in on a small island in between Great Britain and the island of Ireland, and um, it's just two weeks of motorcycles flying around these public roads, which are in no way racetracks. And you know, you, 
you see these guys coming over a hill at 200 miles an hour and the, the bike is completely off the ground for 70 meters and they're going through these corners at 150 miles an hour with their heads inches away from stone fences and one of the riders described it as people not defying death but challenging life and that is horribly dangerous there is never going to be a time where that kind of activity doesn't carry you know a risk of death around every corner but that that phrase challenging life makes me wonder um if people people want to see something real and they want to see something consequential is part of the draw of a sport so dangerous not that people want to see people risk their lives but that they want to see they want to observe people in what might be the most alive state that any person ever reaches you, you never you never feel more alive than when you're almost not i that i think that's where you lose me i mean personally i i can't watch motorbike racing i mean really? i've i've i have an incredible amount of respect for the talent and i mean just the risk associated with it and the, the skill that it takes to even ride a lap of the isle of man at race speed but it's i i mean i even though i i fully recognize that awe and this sort of ragged edge characteristic is what i like about racing and what's real i just i i don't want that much risk like i like actual risk of death compared to the you know the risk being uh, uh even uh like verstappen's 51g impact at silverson which like my brain can't comprehend what 51g's is like and how he was able to survive that and and you know be released from the hospital but i i that's where i have to i have to draw the line somewhere and i think uh isle of man tt and then the pikes peak hill climb which is also uh uh extremely dangerous motorsport event i uh, that's that's where the line although i don't know i think to which side of pike's peak my line falls changes but yeah, yeah i can't i cannot do isle of man somebody has a good so sense of self-preservation <laughs> that's true maybe that's why i write about race cars and haven't ever tried to drive one i'm in the boat with you for different reasons <laughs> <laughs> well um without any resolution to our topic, but I think perhaps a stronger understanding of self. Uh, this this is where we're going to have to leave this episode of The Pit Straight. Um, Alex, as always, thank you so much for joining joining the show and particularly for, for contributing to this episode. Is there anything that, uh, anything else you'd like to say to the listeners before we say goodbye? Uh, I think I think I'm okay. You know, it, it's always a good time to to make your brain itch, and it, and it's itching right now. Yeah, I'm gonna go meditate or something. Well, as always, Alex, thank you for coming on the pit straight, and we got another off week next week. Uh, so we're gonna find something fun to talk about. All right, bye bye.